All right, well, we're going to start with my favorite verse of Scripture, Acts 17.11. This is the passage that tells you to not believe a thing that Dan and I ever tell you. Now, you can rest assured, based upon the emphasis and the accountability that teachers and preachers will or do have to the Lord, I can assure you that everything that we do uh, to the best of our ability is well-researched, and we will never intentionally mislead you. However, just as Paul complimented the church in Berea, said you are more noble than the Thessalonians because you were so uh, courteous to listen to everything I had to say, but then you actually got in the Bible to make sure that I was right on the things that I had to say. So please enjoy tonight's uh, lesson. Uh, as I was talking earlier with Pastor Dan, you know, the things of the Bible, we don't just have uh, abstract, arbitrary instances that are just kind of put together. Uh, the Bible makes sense. God's Word makes sense. It's a continuous, progressive revelation that God has given to us about Himself and to us and for us. Uh, so the Bible should make sense, and the pieces should fit together. Although we are continuing to study, and obviously there are, are questions on every page that we may not have the answers to today, nevertheless, we are working on them, and uh, we thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit that helps us to understand these things. So Acts 17, 11, out of the way, this is the reason that we are here. This is the reason we come to church on Sundays. This is the reason we gather together as a family, and this is what we will be celebrating uh, this upcoming Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday. This is the garden tomb just north of the city of Jerusalem, just maybe 100 yards, 125 yards away from Golgotha the place of the skull where Jesus would have been crucified. I love this picture. This is a, several years ago. I don't remember, maybe 10 years ago, one time when I was in Jerusalem, and I opened my Bible to Luke 24 and have the page uh, or the portion of Scripture underlined in verse 5 where it says, Why seek ye the living among the dead? And in the background you can see many uh, Christian pilgrims making their pilgrimage to the empty tomb to observe and see. In fact, the last time Cindy and I were there about two, two and a half years ago, we double-checked, triple-checked. Actually, it's about the tenth time I've been in there. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, the tomb is still empty. So that is all wonderful news for all of us. All right, tonight we're going to cover the events of the Passion Week. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with tradition. We do a lot of things around here because we've always done it this way. You know, we're breaking tradition right now by not passing the offering plate. You can get kicked out of the Baptist church if you don't pass an offering plate. But tradition is fine. In fact, there's an old story I've shared with you on many occasions, but I'll share it again because it fits right now. Story of a, a mother cooking with her daughter, showing her how it's done. And as they began to prepare the meal, they took and sliced the ends off a roast to place it in the pan to put it in the oven. The daughter asked the mom, Mom, why do we slice the ends off of the roast before we bake it or before we cook it? And the mother said, well, because my mother always did it that way. They said, well, why don't we call Grandma and find out why she did it that way? So they called the grandmother. And they asked her, Grandmother, why do we cut the ends off the roast? And Grandmother said, well, because... My mother told me that that's the way we're supposed to do it. We've always done it that way. Okay, well, great-grandma is still alive. Let's call her. So they called great-grandma and said, Great-grandma, why do we cut the ends off the roast before we cook it? And she said, because I don't have a pan big enough to put the roast in. <laughs> so there may be a reason some things are done. And tradition is fine. 
However, if tradition in our faith contradicts the clear teaching of Scripture, then what stands, tradition or Scripture? As such, we will look today at some of the events of the Passion Week. Of course, Palm Sunday, traditionally, the day that Jesus made His triumphal entry. Holy Wednesday, tradition holds that it was this night that Judas left after Mary broke the alabaster box to anoint Jesus, and he went out and betrayed uh, Jesus under the Sanhedrin on, supposedly, Holy Wednesday. Maundy Thursday, Maundy short for mandatum, the mandate of the foot washing that we talked about last night, exactly what that represented. On Thursday, of course, Good Friday, the day that the crucifixion is celebrated, and then the sunrise service on Easter Sunday, as the Scripture tells us that the ladies went to the tomb early in the morning and found that the stone had been rolled away. So let's look at the pages of Scripture and see what we actually do know, and we'll begin to build a case for what I will present this evening. First of all, we know that Jesus died. John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Secondly, we know that Jesus rose again. Before I go any further, is anybody else warm in here? Uh, Let's see. um, Debbie, would you please let uh, Dan know that it's a little warm, we could use some air conditioning. Thank the Lord we live in the dispensation of air conditioning. We know Jesus rose again, Matthew 28, 6. He is not here, he is risen, the angel said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. We know according to Scripture, as you read this carefully, they hastily buried him before a high Sabbath day. Now, we are all familiar with the end of the week, Shabbat, the seven-day Sabbath. But there are also seven high Sabbaths throughout the Jewish year that coincide with the Jewish high holy days. John 19, verse 31 makes this very clear. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation day, didn't want the bodies hanging on the cross as the Sabbath approached. For that Sabbath was not the seven-day Sabbath. That was a high Shabbat. They besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. We know that they went to visit the tomb after the weekly Sabbath. John 20, verse 1 says that the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, and we know some of the other ladies, while it was still dark, early in the morning, came unto the gravesite, the sepulcher, and they found that the stone was already rolled away. We know that Jesus said He would be in the tomb for three days and three nights. As a matter of fact, this is the key piece of evidence. Jesus didn't say that I'm just going to be risen from the dead, but for reasons we won't go into now, there was something substantial to the Jewish mind about three days and three nights. And Jesus said, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will I be, the Son of Man, term for the Messiah, be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Here is more that we know. The ladies bought and prepared spices after the Shabbat, then rested on Shabbat, then after preparing the spices before Shabbat. So there are two Sabbaths here as you look at the Scripture. Not just one, a high Sabbath coinciding with the holy day of Pesach or Passover, but also the weekly seven-day Sabbath. 
because the early church had so worked so adamantly to disassociate from their Jewish roots, some of this that is really not hard to investigate and ferret out was missed by them as they established many of these early traditions. Luke 23, verse 50 through 54. It says that, Behold, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. This man went unto Pilate and begged or asked for the body of Jesus. He took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never before had a man laid. And that day was the preparation day for the Passover. And the Sabbath, which was the first day of Passover, was quickly approaching. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed and beheld the sepulcher, and they saw how Jesus' body was laid in the sepulcher just before the high Sabbath. Mark 16, 1, And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome went and bought spices that they might come and anoint him. So after this high Sabbath, they went and bought spices, and then they prepared the spices and went back home to rest on the seven-day Sabbath. Luke twenty-three fifty-five. And the women also, which came with him from Galilee, followed after and beheld the sepulcher, how his body was laid. And they returned after they saw the body was laid. Remember, they went back. The high Sabbath was quickly approaching. They obviously did not work on the high Sabbath. After the high Sabbath, they went and purchased spices and prepared the spices and ointments and then rested on the seven-day Sabbath, according to the commandment. So we see that there are two Shabbats, two Sabbaths this particular week, one coinciding with the first day of Passover, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and one being the typical seven-day Sabbath. We also learned last night that the Jews actually celebrate two Seders. I'll give you a slide showing that they still do even to this day. Why was this? Well, we're going to look in Scripture and see when the Seder was originally supposed to be held, that being the evening of the 15th of Nisan. But when the Jews were in captivity in Babylon, they did not know when the first of the month began because the month is actually 29 and a half days. So the beginning of the month wasn't official until two witnesses could observe the first evidence of the new moon in the sky from the pinnacle of the temple. When two witnesses had made that observation, then the Sanhedrin would officially declare the beginning of the month. Well, while they were hundreds of miles away in captivity in Babylon, not knowing exactly when the month began, they started celebrating two satyrs, once on the 14th and once on the 15th. Now they know exactly when Sabbath or when Passover is. However, they still celebrate two seders. Why is that? Tradition. Many of you ever saw Fiddler on the Roof? Remember Tevya singing about tradition? Jesus said very clearly in Luke 22, verses 15 and 16, and He said to them, With great desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not eat or uh, eat, uh, any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, again, I mentioned it last night. Did Jesus eat again with his disciples? Yes. Ate it. In fact, every time he showed up, he ate. Why? Because he was proving that he was physically risen from the dead. 
The heir of Gnosticism said that Jesus was just a phantom. He spiritually rose, but he didn't physically rise from the dead. Well, if he be not risen, then we are men most miserable. We have no hope. Every time Jesus was with the disciples, he said, hey, here, come on, check me out. Feel, there's the nail prints right there. Hey, give me a piece of fish. Hand me some of that bread. Here, let me, am I eating it? Okay, I'm a man. I'm, I'm here, aren't I? Okay, that was the point. So Jesus did eat with them, but he was not going to eat of the Passover with them again until the kingdom. He said, I've had great desire to eat this Passover with you. We'll explain why in a moment. John 13, verse 29, after Judas had left, after he had been exposed, after Jesus said, Judas, you're the one that's going to betray me. Judas already had sold him for 30 pieces of silver. But Jesus said, what you must do, go and do quickly. Judas left. Of course, Judas was the treasurer of the group. And the others assumed that he left to go and purchase some things in preparation for the feast. So Jesus was having a feast. Judas left. Yet there was still another feast that they were expecting to celebrate. This is the website, My Jewish Learning. I think it's Chabad.org. And you'll notice Passover 2021. It says this, the first Passover Seder is on Saturday, March 27th. So actually this Saturday at 6 o'clock in the evening is the beginning of the 14th of the Jewish month, Nisan. And here in the first paragraph, it says Passover 2021 begins at sundown on March 27th and ends Sunday evening, April the 4th. The first Passover Seder is on the evening of March 22nd. The second Passover Seder takes place on the evening of March 28th. So you say, because of tradition, even to this day, they celebrate two seders. And it began when they went into captivity in Babylon 600 years before Jesus walked on the face of this earth. Now, looking at Passion Week, let's begin with noting some of the times. I probably can put these slides together a little differently. Nevertheless, they are as they are. So this is what you're going to get this year. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover. Now, folks, if I said, I want you all to come visit me six days before Christmas, you'd know exactly when I meant, would you not? The Jews also know exactly what day he's talking about here. We will point that out here shortly. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, and there they made him a supper. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. So when did this take place? Six days before the Passover. We'll come back to that later. Continuing in the same passage in John, verses 12 and 13. After this dinner, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard, by the way, this was the spring feast, consisted of three particular days. It was Passover, which was the 15th of Nisan, the week-long feast of unleavened bread, where the Jews were to get all the leaven out of their house. It began on the 15th, which was a high holy day, went seven days, ended on a high holy day. Also that week, was called the Feast of First Fruits. These three feasts made up the spring feasts in Judaism. Now, the Feast of First Fruits fell on the first day of the week after Passover. So, if Passover happened to fall on a Monday, then the Feast of First Fruits would be seven days later 
the following Monday, the day after Shabbat, the first day of the week. If as this year, Passover, well, actually, this is kind of a confusing year because actually it's on Shabbat. Let's say that Passover was on a Saturday. Then the Feast of First Fruits would be two days later, the day after, on the first day of the week following Passover. So, okay, so here we are. Jesus came, had dinner there at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's house. Mary uh, uh, anointed his feet. Judas got upset. Said this money, this could have been sold and the money used to take care of the poor. Well, he wasn't concerned about the poor. He was a greedy guy. He was just looking about for how to get his hands on more money. He went out that night and betrayed Jesus under the Sanhedrin. Then on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, this was required. Jews from all over the world would have been coming back to Jerusalem for these spring feasts. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Mark, we have a parallel passage. You can see in verses 8 through 11 of chapter 11. And many spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches and cried saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem, into the temple, And when he had looked around upon all things, well, when evening was come, he went back out and went back to Bethany with the twelve. Notice the continuation here in Mark. And on the next day, when they were come from Bethany, they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the money changers' tables. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. So let's summarize what we've looked at so far. We know, as I said last night, that these series of events began weeks earlier when they were up at Caesarea Philippi and Peter made his great confession of faith. They traveled all the way back down around to Capernaum, around the Sea of Galilee, down the Jordan River Valley. Why did they come down the Jordan River Valley? Because that was like going down an interstate. If you look in the central part of Israel, it is all mountains. It's a whole lot easier to travel coming down the River Valley, which is how they would have come. The Scripture says that they went and spent some time at Bethabara, which was where John the Baptist at first baptized Jesus. It says that Jesus healed great multitudes there, then crossed over Jordan, went to Jericho. There are two sections of Jericho, old Jericho and the new political area of Jericho where Zacchaeus would have lived as a tax collector. As Jesus was leaving old Jericho and approaching new Jericho, he came across two blind men, one of them named Bartimaeus, who begged him to heal, and he healed them. Then he traveled some 20 miles, 20, 25 miles from Bethany, or excuse me, from Jericho to Bethany six days before the Passover. That night had dinner with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The next day, he made his triumphal entry, looked around, observed everything, but didn't do anything, went back to Bethany and stayed the night. The next day, he returned. By the way, 
that first next day, it was his triumphal entry. That's when they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus rode in, looked around the temple, didn't do anything, left, went back to Bethany. The next day, he came back in and cleaned house. Next day, chased them all out of the temple and, 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 and then healed and taught the entirety of the rest of the day. Now, this is a model, 120th scale, that's in one of the museums there in Jerusalem. This is from the southern trajectory, looking north over Jerusalem. You see, that area there, that little peninsula, was actually the original Jebusite city, Jebus, which uh, David first conquered and made his capital. The area up there at the top, where you see the temple complex, would have been Ornan's threshing floor. You remember when David sinned and numbered his people? God said, I'm going to judge you. What do you want? You want to be punished by some invading army? Do you want this? What do you want? Or do you want three days of me to kick you around? And David said, I want three days of punishment from you, Lord. I've offended you, and perhaps you'll have mercy. When David saw the angel of judgment approaching, he offered a sacrifice there after purchasing Ornan's threshing floor. And God stayed his hand of judgment. It was that area that was eventually turned into Solomon's temple and then Herod's temple. That is the temple complex. This area right there is what's called the Holda Gates, named for the prophetess Holda. We'll talk about her in a moment. There is Robinson's Arch. That's where the VIPs entered into the temple complex. By the way, the Holda Gates are where the common folks entered into the temple complex. The area behind Robinson's Arch was what was called and still is called the Cardo from the word cardio, the heart of the city. That was like going to the shopping mall. As you can see here, this was several years ago, maybe eight, nine years ago when our church went. And you see Joshua and my wife and others sitting there. That's Isaac, our guide. This, you can see the storefronts there. This is that Cardo where buying and selling would have taken place some 2,000 years ago. Over here is the Gihon Springs. This was the water supply for Jerusalem. But the, the springs were actually outside the walls of the city. So when Hezekiah was about to be invaded, he built a tunnel from the Gihon Springs, which fed miraculously under the ground of the city and filled the pool of Siloam. What was miraculous about this is the Assyrians were invading, and Hezekiah had some people start digging at Gihon Springs and had some people start digging from where the pool of Siloam is located through solid rock without any kind of modern instruments to navigate and meet. What are the odds that they would meet perfectly? I would say not very good unless God was in it. But they did, and that, of course, was called Hezekiah's Tunnel. That is the water supply that feeds the Pool of Siloam. By the way, that has now been discovered, and it's a place that we hope to visit when we go back. This is looking at the temple from the northeast trajectory. Down there is what's called Solomon's Porch. Obviously, there was much teaching that went on in the temple complex daily. Uh, rabbis would be down there with their Talmudim, their disciples, uh, teaching in the shade uh, uh, from the hot day. Uh, you have got Antonio Fortress. This was the citadel where the Roman authority was headquartered. It is likely from this point that Pilate 
would have had Barabbas and Jesus on the walls overlooking the court of the Gentiles, which is that outer court there, and saying, Whom should I release unto you, Barabbas, this murderer, or Jesus, which is called the Messiah? And from that court, the Sanhedrin instigated them to reply, Crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus, we'll have no king but Caesar. This is the inner court called the Court of Women, also called the Treasury in Scripture, which leads up 15 steps to the Court of Men. And men could only go so far. It was there that the sacrifices would be handed off to the priest. And it was there that on the north side of the altar, that's significant when trying to identify the tomb of Jesus and also the place of His sacrifice. On the north side is where the offerings would be offered. And of course, the, the burnt offerings would be done there in the Court of Priests. Now, this is looking towards the pinnacle of the temple. These are the holy gates. You remember, as we're studying Jeremiah, uh, good King Josiah discovered the law as he was renovating the temple complex, and he was repentant and how sinful uh, Israel had been, and he asked uh, the, the prophetess Huldah if God would spare judgment upon, um, upon Judah. And the response from Almighty God was, no, uh, Judah is going to suffer punishment for her disobedience. However, because you've had a tender heart, it won't happen during your lifetime. Now, the Jews would ascend, would enter through one entrance, the one nearest us. By the way, that's where Peter and John would have been going in when they found the lame man there that was begging for alms uh, in, in the book of Acts. And to this day, as you approach the temple complex, well, all you can access as Jews is going to the Wailing Wall there on the western side of the temple. But even to this day, beggars are there looking for uh, help as you're going to the most holy place on the planet in the mind of the Jews. Obviously, at that point in time, you should be most compassionate. So that's where the beggars hung out as you're entering into the gates. You would leave after you meet the Lord. You don't leave in the same direction. You leave traveling a different path. So they would exit going out the other gates. By the way, these are the steps leading up that southern ascent to the temple. And they are staggered. They have a shallow step and a broad step, and a shallow step and a broad step. That's done intentionally, so you can't just walk up the steps. You must have your head bowed in an act of reverence as you watch the steps as you approach uh, the presence of God from the, the Jewish mind. And, of course, this is the pinnacle of the temple. And from this point that the Sanhedrin would officially declare the beginning of each month. And it was at this point, place that, that Satan took Jesus and said, Jump off. Uh, isn't it written that your angels will catch you and you won't be injured? And won't that impress everybody? It's a significant fall. From that point all the way down to the bottom of the Kidron Valley, several hundred feet. Now, this I showed you last night as we're looking from the Mount of Olives across the uh, city of Jerusalem. The golden dome of the rock sits where the temple at one time sat. Back over here is what has historically been designated as the upper room where Jesus would have had his last supper with the disciples. By the way, close proximity there is David's tomb, King David's tomb. In this area is where Caiaphas's home is. And over here is Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus was and was arrested. 
Again, this is from Gethsemane viewing up the eastern gates. Imagine the giant Herod's temple standing back behind those gates in some area. Jesus with the disciples in the hours as he is agonizing in prayer leading up into his arrest. Now, as I pointed out last night, and you've heard me say many times, remember that in the Jewish mind, prediction or prophecy is not just prediction and fulfillment, it is patterns and types, which are a picture or a shadow of a greater reality which is to come. Does that make sense? I'll kind of explain here as we go through this, and we'll begin in Exodus chapter 12. This was the command given to Moses at the time of their deliverance from captivity in Egypt. In the tenth day of the month, this new beginning of months for you, a new life for you, Israel, you are born again. In the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb for his household. If you have a household of ten or less, you'll take one lamb. If you have a small house of maybe four or five people, you might join with your neighbor to where you come together and there's a total of, of eight or nine or ten. If you have more than ten, you'll take two lambs, a lamb, an appropriate la- number of lambs for the household. And if the household be too, well, so I'll explain there a moment ago. A, a male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and you shall observe it from the tenth until the fourteenth to make sure that it is truly a lamb without spot or blemish. And then on the 14th at even, between 3 and 6 o'clock in the evening, you shall slay the lamb. And you'll take the blood on this first night, dip hyssop in it, and put the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. Again, you can envision uh, the, uh, the cross there with the doorposts and the lintel. And this day shall be unto you a memorial. I want you to do this every year. I want you to teach your kids every year. You shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout all your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now, this is the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Leaven is a picture of sin. Get the sin out of your home. And in the first day, there shall be a high Sabbath, a holy convocation. And in the seventh day, there shall be a high Sabbath. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, and that only may be done of you. So on the tenth day, the lamb was to be selected. Lamb in the prime of life without spot or blemish. On the fourteenth day, after four days of observation, he was to be slain and the blood uh, put on the doorposts. And of course, that night, the Passover lamb would pass over that home if the blood was on the outside of the doors, and then the lamb was on the inside of those as they had eaten. Now, remember our passage tonight dealing with Jesus. This is to be a holy convocation. Prophecy is pattern. This is the uh, initial type of the Passover lamb. What did John the Baptist say the first time he saw Jesus approaching? Behold the Lamb of God, which cometh to take away the sin of the world. So my theory is that the type will be fulfilled exactly by the antitype. So the picture will be fulfilled in reality by the Lamb of God. Jews, therefore, John 19.31, because it was the preparation day, the 14th day of Nisan, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day. 
So I just showed you. Up above, the 15th of Nisan was a high holy day, a Sabbath day. You can't have the bodies hanging on the cross. Now remember, we talked about this last night. Our calendar begins at midnight each new day. We have six hours of darkness, roughly midnight to 6 a.m. Then we have 12 hours of daylight, roughly 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Then we have another six hours of darkness, 6 p.m. until midnight, and then we begin it all over again with a new day. But that wasn't the Jewish calendar. As God at creation said, and the evening and the morning were the first day, so too the Jewish calendar begins at about, again when I say about, because it's at sundown, but typically it's right about 6 o'clock on what we would consider the day before. So, for example, on the picture you see up here, we would consider Tuesday starting at midnight. But the Jew would consider Tuesday starting six hours earlier at 6 p.m. Everybody got that? All right, with that understanding, let's go ahead and look at the Passion Week. Now, we know that the tomb was discovered empty early on the first day of the week by the ladies. So somewhere on the first day of the week, the resurrection took place. When did the first day of the week begin? 6 p.m. on what would be our Saturday night. We know that Jesus was in the tomb for three days and three nights. He said, this is the convincing piece of evidence that's going to declare to you that I am who I am. So let me ask you this. How in the world can we have a Friday crucifixion with Jesus going into the tomb just before 6 o'clock on Friday And how could he come out even on Sunday morning and be in the tomb for three days and three nights? He cannot be. And I don't believe that God was speaking uh, through rough estimates. I think he very specifically said three days and three nights. And I think that we will see that that is, in fact, exactly what happened. Now, remember, Passover was coming up. Passover was the spring feast, really consisted of three. You had the Passover, which was the 15th of Nisan, preceded by the day that the leaven was gotten out of the house and the lamb was slain on the 14th. Then you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, with the 15th being Shabbat, a Sabbath day. And of course, we know what happens to fall on the first day of the week following Passover is the Feast of Firstfruits. So let's assume a Friday crucifixion as tradition hands it. And let's count back six days because the Scripture says six days before the Passover, uh, Jesus came to Bethany. We know this is correct. The 15th is the Passover. That's the answer to the question. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, what day is Christmas on? 25th of December. Not hard, is it? To the Jew, what day is Passover? The 15th of Nisan. This is not a hard date to establish. Scripture says six days before Passover. So let's count one, two, three, four, five, six days. That has Jesus showing up uh, in Bethany on Sunday. Of course, in that case, he would have had dinner on uh, Sunday evening. And we traditionally celebrate Palm Monday as he rode into town the next day. Does not work, does it? All right. Let's fudge a little bit. And let's say that we're counting the preparation day as Passover. Because that's the day that the lamb was actually slain on the 14th. Now that would be like saying, okay, we're going to celebrate Christmas on the 24th. Okay, well Christmas 
Eve is the 24th, but Christmas is the 25th. Passover is the 15th. The preparation day is the 14th. Two different days. Do you understand? Are you with me on this? Okay, but let's just say, for argument's sake, that the preparation day was the 14th, and that's what they were figuring. Let's count six days before Passover. Six days, we have uh, Jesus coming into uh, Bethany on Saturday, Saturday night, having dinner uh, with uh, the Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and then He would have come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Well, that must be it. That must have been what they were figuring, except there's one problem with this. With that scenario, Jesus would have traveled over 20 miles from Jericho to Bethany on Shabbat. That is absolutely forbidden and could not have happened. So let's look at, the, oh, by the way, Holy Wednesday, which is celebrated now. Well, obviously, as we looked, we know that six days before Passover is when Jesus and the disciples showed up at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, and it was that night that they had the meal. I don't know how you get Holy Wednesday when it was very clearly six days before, unless you're just confusing passages of Scripture. Now, Let's look at some of the things that we have already established. You know me, I'm famous for review because with repetition we remember things. Jesus came out on the first day of the week. We have no problem with that. The Bible clearly establishes that. We know the first day of the week began at 6 o'clock in the evening. We know that the ladies showed up early the next morning for a good reason. How many of you go walking through a graveyard at night? Not many of us. They came the next morning. That is pretty easy to understand. We know that the women visited the tomb on or after the seventh day Sabbath because that's what the Scripture said that we read a while ago. We know that there are two Sabbaths, a high Sabbath and a seven-day Sabbath. We already saw in Scripture how the women observed the body, raced home before the Sabbath, then after the Sabbath went and bought spices and prepared the spices, then rested on the Sabbath, then after the seventh-day Sabbath went to the tomb and discovered it was empty. We know that there are two satyrs. Ever since the first diaspora going to Babylon, this has been part of the Jewish tradition. It is obvious that it was kept this week by Jesus and His disciples. We know that Jesus was crucified on the preparation day, as was established in Exodus chapter 12. That's when the Lamb was slain, and that's when the Lamb was slain, which was the 14th of Nisan. We know that the 15th was a high holy day, a high Sabbath, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So let's just take a look in theory and see if this works. If what I have shown on, on the page up there, with Jesus going into the tomb, uh, or excuse me, being crucified on Wednesday being placed in the tomb just before 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening, beginning of the new day for the Jew. And on the night before, he was able to celebrate and teach the Passover, teach Christ in the Passover to his disciples on the first Seder. Then he could literally be the Lamb of God who died at th around 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the 14th of Nisan and be placed in the tomb that night as the perfect antitype fulfilling the type of Exodus chapter 12. Now, if the math works and what I've theorized, again, we got the high Sabbath, the ladies observing the body, going back, observing Sabbath, going to get the spices and preparing them, observing the seven-day Sabbath, then going to the empty tomb, which is exactly what we just read a few moments ago in Scripture. Do I need to go back and reread that? Are you all still with me? 
Okay, I'm sorry. All right. All right, let's, begin. We're, let's pretend we're charismatics. Everybody wave your hands in the air. Say, aren't you glad we're saved? All right. We're sitting in a warm room. I know what it's like to sit, and I see droopy eyes every now and then. So that's why we, we, we pretend we're charismatics every now and then. We're actually excited. One time years ago, a pastor at Calvary Chapel asked, uh, they were going to a church camp. They didn't have a vehicle, so we loaned them uh, one of our, our buses, one of our vans at the time. And I said, now, Brother Ken, you've got to remember the side of the van says Fairview Baptist Church, and I know you all are Calvary Chapel. So make sure when you're driving down the highway, whenever somebody drives past of you, you look like you're frowning and forlorn, so you fit the mold of Baptist. All right, six days before Passover. All right, we've got that new map here. We're going to go through it in detail, and we're going to come in for a landing here momentarily. The 15th of Nisan, that high Sabbath day, what we would call Wednesday evening going into Thursday meeting, but or morning, but the Jewish calendar began at 6 o'clock on Wednesday evening. That was the 15th, the beginning of the 15th. We go back six days, one, two, three, four, five, six. That takes the disciples and Jesus to traveling from Jericho to Bethany on Friday which is legal and appropriate because that is just the sixth day of the week, then they would have enjoyed the Shabbat meal, the most extravagant, joyous, wonderful meal of the week is Shabbat. It is the best dinner uh, like our what we used to do on Sunday after churches uh, growing up in, in, in what was Christian America. Then... <clears throat> The next day, Jesus would have ridden into Jerusalem on the 10th of Nisan. What was significant about the 10th of Nisan? That was the day that the Passover lamb was to be staked out for observation. On the 10th of Nisan, Shabbat. Because remember, the Scripture also tells us specifically that Bethany was a Sabbath day's journey from Jerusalem. You want to know why God made sure and put that in there to help us understand this as we're studying this tonight? So on Shabbat, he would have, and we'll cross-reference this in a minute with something really neat that you'll enjoy. So on the 10th of Nisan, on Shabbat, Jesus rode into Jerusalem declaring that he was the Messiah of Zechariah 9.9. Behold, your king comes humbly bringing salvation, riding on a colt, the donkey's foal. And Jesus did. They cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees were saying, Master, tell them to, to, they can't say that. They're acknowledging you as the Messiah. And Jesus said, yeah, that's right. If they were to hold their tongues, even the rocks would cry out. So on the 10th, he declared that he was who he claimed to be. Went into the city, went into the temple complex, saw everything that was taking place. I showed you a while ago where buying and selling was supposed to take place outside the walls of the temple. Well, church or, or religion had become such a good business, they'd moved it inside the walls of the temple where it didn't belong. Jesus said, haven't you read, my house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Not just the Jews, the Jew first, but all nations. So Jesus observed what was going on, but there was nothing to tear up that day because it was Shabbat. And there was no business being conducted on Shabbat. So after he observed, he went back to Bethany that evening and stayed the night with 
Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The next day, what we would call Monday, the first day of the week, Jesus came back into Jerusalem. He cursed the fig tree that wasn't bearing fruit. He chased everyone out of the temple violently with a concealed weapon. Actually, it was unconcealed at that point. He took a scourge out and was waving it around and chased them all out. We talked about how significant that would be. Imagine going into the United States Capitol, that huge building, and chasing everyone out of it. Well, the temple complex, I showed you a while ago, that is a big facility. To chase everyone out of the temple complex, he would have been speaking with some kind of unquestioned authority. Then the Scripture says that he sat down and taught in his home the rest of the day and healed great multitudes. Mentioned last night, last night, I have no idea what a great multitude is. I don't know, is a multitude a hundred? Is a multitude a thousand? What is a great multitude? Well, that must have been several thousand. But he taught and healed thousands that day. Then he departed. Jesus one day will rule and reign from Jerusalem. There is not a record of Jesus until the night in the upper room with the disciples of the Seder that he actually slept in the capital city. Every other night, he stayed outside on the Mount of Olives or in Bethany. The next day, he got up. He came into the temple complex. Again, the Passover lamb was to be staked out and observed for four days from the, four, from the 10th until the 14th. Jesus was tested this day. By the way, as we said yesterday, you had the Herodians coming and trying to trip him up with the question about paying taxes to Caesar. Then you had the Sadducees that didn't believe in the supernatural, that didn't believe in the resurrection, trying to trip him up over a question about the resurrection, about a woman that was married to seven different brothers. Whose wife would she be in the resurrection? And then you had the Pharisees trying to challenge him over which law of the 613 was the most important Every time, he absolutely overwhelmed them with his wisdom, divinity in flesh. And then he asked them a question. He said, whose son is the Messiah? And they answered, well, David's son, of course. They said, then how could, in Psalm 110, David call his son Lord? They didn't have an answer for that. Most of them still don't. And at that point, there were no more questions asked. Jesus preached that ferocious message in Matthew chapter 23, where he called them hypocrites, whited sepulchers, and snakes, and said, don't you know your damnation is just on the horizon? Well, that wasn't a very gentle, I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay, it's okay type of a sermon. Then he went across the Kidron Valley, leaving the temple complex for the last time. Remember the first time he cleansed it? He said, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Second time he said, you've turned my house into a house of merchandise. At this point he said, I am leaving your house to you. You'll not see me again until you cry out, say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. In fact, by the way, look around. There's not going to be one stone left on top of another before very long. Went across the Kidron Valley up onto the Mount of Olives, looked back across the temple complex, and taught on the Olivet Discourse to his disciples. That night, he stayed back on the Mount of Olives. The next day, we don't have record of what happened. I would conclude that the man, Jesus, knew what he was in for. I would conclude that he was getting his rest because the next 36 hours were going to be long and going to be grueling. That evening... Tuesday evening would have been the 14th of Nisan. 
That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper on Tuesday night of what we commemorate as Passover week. Passover actually isn't until this Sunday. However, on this particular week, Passover was on Thursday. They would have dined on Tuesday. We have our Lord's Supper on Tuesday, which commemorates the 14th of Nisan. Jesus said, it's not about this bread. Uh, it's about me. It's not about the, the, the wine. It's not about the blood on the doorpost. It's about my blood. The blood of the New Testament is in me. As oft as you do this, what is the this he's talking about? Passover, Seder for the Jew. That was, that became the Lord's Supper. It's not about the lamb. I'm the lamb. Every time you get together and do this, remember it's all about me. That was the point that he was making. That's why we celebrate it once a year on Tuesday night of Passover week. Then the next day, I'm sorry, um, that night he, of course, was arrested in Gethsemane, was taken to Caiaphas's house. The mock trial began. He was beaten, had a crown of thorns down, down on his head. He went to Pilate. He went to Herod. There was arguments over jurisdiction because none of the political leaders wanted to deal with this hot potato. He wound up back before Pilate. You notice for these four days, he was observed, and Pilate himself, in fact, Herod said, this guy's just nuts, but he hadn't done anything wrong. And Pilate said, I have found no fault in this man. For four days, the Lamb of God was staked out from observation from the 10th until the 14th. Rode in on making his triumphal entry on the 10th. On the 14th, about 9 o'clock in the morning is when he was taken to Golgotha and nailed to the tree. Three hours. We see the comments in the Gospels. We don't have time to go into any of them. We know about noonday, God turned the lights out. History records a great blackout. I guarantee it coincides with this. Uh, about three o'clock in the afternoon, after the one thief acknowledged that you are the Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. After Jesus said, John, I'm charging you to take care of my mother. Mom, take a look at John as now your son that's in charge of your care and well-being. He said, I thirst. He said, it is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Right around even, about three o'clock in the afternoon of the 14th, as the official Pesachs were being slain in the temple. They hastily went and got permission from Pilate to take his body off the cross. By the way, they were going to go and break the legs of the three men that were being crucified. The Passover lamb, it specifically says, was not to have a bone broken. Now, how many Roman soldiers do you know of or have you read about historically that have willfully have disobeyed an order? Guarantee you that's not good for your longevity in the business. If you disobeyed a commanding officer's order, you would have been executed. Well, these soldiers that were there broke the legs of the two thieves. They came to Jesus, and I can just imagine as they were rocking back, getting ready to break his legs. One said, wait a second. Hey, hey this, one's, this one's already dead. You don't need to break his legs. Are you sure? Well, yeah, pretty much. Here, give me that spear. Let me uh, up underneath his ribcage. John was close enough where he could see the pericardium was punctured, outflowed blood and water, but he was pierced for our transgressions, but not a bone of the Passover lamb was broken. They took him down off the cross, hastily wrapped him, took him to the nearby garden tomb. Again, about a hundred yards from this location is where this hewn, this tomb, rich man's tomb, hewn out of stone, rests. 
He was placed in that tomb. The stone was rolled in front of it. Sometime, I would imagine, minutes before the official start of the high Sabbath. We know the ladies observed what was going on. We know that they went back and observed the Sabbath. We know that during the day of the next day, the Sanhedrin went to Pilate and demanded that, hey, this deceiver, if something happens to his body, they're going to say he rose from the dead. We need you to put a watch of soldiers in guard to make sure that the tomb isn't robbed. By the way, they didn't have to guard the tomb forever. All they had to do to disprove Christianity was to bring Jesus' dead body out and show it to the world on day four. Because Jesus said, after three days and three nights, I'm coming out. If they had brought his dead body out on the fourth day, everybody said, see, he's dead. Throw him in the trash pile, and we would be practicing some other empty faith system. But they were guarding the tomb to make sure the body was still there on day four. But, as we know, the ladies went and got the spices on that day in between the Sabbaths. We know that on the Sabbath, the seven-day Sabbath, they rested, and that we know that sometime on the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead. I believe exactly three days and three nights. I think, of course, this is just me. I can't prove it. I think they were rolling the stone shut just as they were blowing the shofar and announcing the beginning of Shabbat. And I think that right at the end of the Sabbath day, three days and three days, three three nights later, that is when Jesus came out of the tomb. Remember, the stone wasn't rolled away so Jesus could get out. He was in His glorified body. He could travel at the speed of thought. He would pass through walls and locked doors. Jesus rose from the dead. The stone was rolled away before the ladies showed up the next morning so that they could see that the tomb was in fact empty. So if I'm correct, we should be able to get three days and three nights out of Jesus going into the tomb and the resurrection. Well, the evening and the morning, Wednesday evening, Thursday morning were the first day. The evening and the morning, Thursday evening, Friday morning were the second day. The evening and the morning, Friday evening and Saturday morning, or Friday evening and Saturday morning were the third day. Jesus came out on the first day of the week, which is 6 o'clock on our Saturday. Now, as I said a while ago, coincidentally, the first day of the week following the seven-day Sabbath after Passover is the Feast of First Fruits. Just so happens that on this particular calendar, the first fruit offering would have been on the day that Jesus came out of the tomb after being in the tomb for three days and three nights. And, of course, Paul said, again, notice the imagery, the type and antitype of Jewish fulfilling prophecy. Now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. One last slide to hopefully convince you. And again, Acts 17, 11, go prove it to yourself. I said Jews operate by types. The 10th, the lamb was staked out for observation on the 14th. The lamb was slain. Jesus made his triumphal entry on the 10th. On the 14th at even is when he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now, if I am correct, and Passover, the year of Jesus' crucifixion, was on Thursday, 
and he was crucified on Wednesday, then I would assume that the original Passover, when they were in Egypt, would have taken place on a Thursday with the lambs slain on Wednesday afternoon. Just so happens, and I know this will shock the fire out of you, according to Jewish history, we know that the Jews, Benai, sons of Israel, the sons of Israel, the Jews, left Egypt the 15th of Nisan was on a what? Why is this so significant? Because that would have meant the miracle of the staking out of the lambs on the 10th of Nisan, which normally would have been against the law in Egypt, yet the Egyptians did not do anything in response. The Jews conjecture is because that was, that day, the 10th, was Shabbat Hagadel, the great Sabbath. In other words, the lambs were staked out on a Sabbath day, which would have been the 10th of Nisan. The lambs would have been slain on Wednesday, the 14th of Nisan, and the Jews would have left Egypt on the 15th of Nisan, which is a Thursday, which is what I just said took place of Passion Week and fits perfectly what the Scripture says and coincidentally is exactly what the Jews say took place at the first Passover. I love to study stuff like this because it seems that the more, the deeper you dig, the more specific God is and doesn't operate in approximate. He operates in exact. I've got more I could share, but we are out of time. We are going to call it quits at this point in time. Aren't you glad that the tomb is empty? Folks, as I have said and continue to say, Christianity is not based upon feelings or emotion. Faith is not blind. I demonstrated faith when I sat in this chair a while ago. But it wasn't really a leap of faith because I had confidence that if I sat down, the chair would hold me up. God has given overwhelming evidence that He exists. And there is overwhelming evidence that the tomb was empty. Jesus rose from the dead. And if you choose to believe the evidence, believe God and trust in God, trust in the sacrifice of the Lamb of God that was given for your sins, then your sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb and you are justified as your high priest, the Lord Jesus, has made this sin offering, which happened to be Himself, on your behalf. The Bible says that He is our intermediator, making intercession on our behalf that we are in fact His. What a wonderful truth. Not blind faith, not crossing our fingers and saying, I hope it's right, but just as obvious as me choosing to sit in this chair is a person recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah and that He died and rose again for our sins. Amen.